Welcome to the Westminster Chapel podcast. For more information and to support our mission to London and beyond, please visit westminsterchapel.org.uk. Our reading today is uh, taken from Romans chapter 12. We're going to be reading from the beginning, verse 1, through to verse 21, which is the end, so we're covering the whole chapter today. Um, So let me begin without further ado. Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the measure of faith God has given you. Just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ, we who are many form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given to us. If a man's gift is prophesying, Let him use it in proportion to his faith. If it is serving, let him serve. If it is teaching, let him teach. If it is encouraging, let him encourage. If it is contributing to the needs of others, let him give generously. If it is leadership, let him govern diligently. And if it is showing mercy, let him do it cheerfully. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Honour one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervour serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with God's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everybody. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, 
If your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. And now let's pray. Father, we thank you that you've not left us to flounder around in darkness, but we thank you rather that you've given us your word. It's a light to our feet and a lamp to our path. Lord, we pray this morning that you will send your spirit on all of us, Lord God, so that we may hear your living word speak to us and instruct us and help us, Lord, to be hearers and doers of your word. Let it impact us, Lord, and let us listen to what you are saying. And lift up Keegan to you and pray for him, Lord, that you will pour your spirit on him so that he might transmit faithfully this living word that you have for us this morning. So we ask your blessing on this service now in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, good morning. I uh, come bearing gifts for everybody, so I must uh, first find somewhere to put it. I'll steal a stand. Good morning. Well, welcome to Westminster Chapel. It's my joy to be able to speak to you this morning. I would like to talk to you about a gift that is on offer for us as individuals, but also as a community. And this gift is better than the best sermon you've ever heard, better than the best preachers, than the best worship leaders. It's more important than any prophetic word that's been ever spoken over us as a community. It will break the power of evil and sin and darkness in our lives. It will erase fear and anxiety and help us get to a place of complete unity and peace. It will cause us to walk in obedience to the laws of God. It will enable us to have a credible witness to the community of London. It will never perish. And it will result in the full flourishing of each of us and us as a community. Now, I think I've got some attention. So, my name is Keegan. I'm married to Hannah, we've got a little son called Benjamin, and um, we're in this series at the moment in our church, looking through Romans chapter 12, and it's a series where we're looking at the transforming power of God in our lives. And I'm going to speak this morning on one of these mercies of God, which leads to our transformation. And you might have heard me talking about this gift and been thinking to yourself, this just sounds too good to be true. And that's 
kind of what I thought. So a little over, or sort of roughly 20 years ago, before I became a Christian, I grew up in a family where, who were kind of, no one really believed anything, kind of agnostic and atheist, a bit of a mix. And I was very fortunate that I went to an Anglican school and we had a school chaplain there at the time who used to teach us about God and teach us about the gospel. And I started becoming coming intrigued, but I didn't really ever have enough courage or enough motivation to do anything about it, although I really wanted to know, is this stuff all true? It sounds too good to be true. And then fortunately, one day when I was walking out of class, he stopped me. He said, please wait behind, and that normally meant you're in trouble. So I was kind of racking through my brain, thinking about, what did I do this class? I really wasn't you know, particularly naughty. And um, once the class had left, he said to me, I feel God prompting me to ask you if you want to pray to get to know God. Me, who had done nothing for God, who had not really sought him out, who had not tried to live in accordance with his ways, who didn't really understand the things of God, yet God reached out to me. And it was in that moment that I knew God has to be real. This, this chaplain had no reason to know or no reason to suspect that I was kind of in any way interested. I was with the naughty guys at the back, pretending to be sleeping, but with one ear listening out because I was being intrigued. And so God reached out to me in love, and my life has been forever different. And I've become to, come to know that this stuff is true. It isn't too good to be true. It is true. And so you're probably now wondering, what on earth is this gift? And the gift that I have this morning, and that is on offer, not that I have, but that is on offer for us, is genuine love. Genuine love. It's the gift of genuine love. You see, we're looking at, currently in verse 9 of this chapter, I'm glad I don't have to preach on the whole chapter, I only have one short verse, which is hard enough. But this is what it says in, in, in verse 9, it says, let love be genuine abhor, hate, detest the things that are evil and hold fast to, cling and be united to the things that are good. And so what Paul is doing here is he's writing to this collection of churches in Rome at the time, sort of 60 years after the death of Jesus, and he's encouraging them to let their love be genuine, without hidden agendas, without duplicity, pure and uncorrupted. But the thing is, Paul wouldn't have to say this if there wasn't the issue of love not being like that, right? So by implication, he's saying that actually love can be sort of corrupted. It can be distorted. It's not always genuine. There's something that appears to look like love but isn't always the real deal. And this is the whole kind of thrust of this portion of Scripture. By the mercies of God, present your bodies as living sacrifices and then be renewed by the transforming of your mind, because God is saying that there is a world outside that's trying to conform us to a particular way, and we need to be transformed from that way, and us as the church are also at risk of the pressures from outside, and so I think when it comes to love, both the church and the world, we can be a little bit confused and also deceived as to what it really is. Now, just a few of my observations in terms of the way that I think we sometimes get shaped by the pressures of this world in terms of what we, in terms of our idea of love, 
um, are these. The first is I think we've commoditized love to some extent, right? We love everything, from the latest flavor of crosstown donuts to, you know, our favorite song to the Beatles, to our parents, our children, we love God. We kind of just love everything. And that's no criticism, it's just in the English language we only have one word, love. <laughs> and so we just sort of use it, but it kind of dilutes a little bit what is really love and what's kind of just I like donuts. So we're a bit confused. And um, it's also increasingly about self-pleasure. I feel our whole world is driving us that way, isn't it? Social media, everything gets fed to us just to tickle our taste buds, to really draw us in. It's all about the things that make us feel really good. And we've made much of feelings and too little, I think, of commitment. Why do we need marriage? Why do we need paperwork to show commitment? Shouldn't we try before we buy, you know? Have sex, move in, fall pregnant, and, and then maybe, okay, it's time to start thinking about commitment. That's a bit how it goes, right? We've seen the rampant dating culture, all these different apps that you can, you know, find ways to sort of get your feelings stimulated without necessarily always having the commitment. Now, I'm not saying all those things are bad. I don't really have an in-principle issue with dating apps. But anyway, you get the point. And I think we continue to confuse sex for love. There was recently a, an article about the British Business Bank, which is funded by taxpayer money, that was criticized for investing in what is called a sex tech app. It's new to me. Um, but basically, it's this company that organizes these events for people to go to, and they describe themselves as organizing hedonistic events, kind of the critics would say, sex parties, to encourage partygoers to let go of their inhibitions and express their most sexual and sensual selves, helping them live life to the fullest. Really? <laughs> Is that what happens the next day? People really feel like they've lived life to the fullest? I'm not so sure. And I think as communities, the other thing that's happening is we're beginning to lose love and empathy for one another. Right? We live in this world that's shaped by cancel culture. All we've got is 140 words to engage, and we just want to shut people down who don't hold our views. We've lost this ability to really get into dialogue, to understand one another, to approach and to reason with people who have different views. And so it's easier to kind of cancel, but then when we need to step in and it becomes inconvenient to work through some of these issues and to really love one another well, what do we say? Each to their own. Each to their own. I don't really have the effort to engage. I don't really have the effort to, to try to, to grapple with one another. And so this is not really just a criticism of the world out there because our walls in this community are porous. And this stuff seeps in and it shapes our view of love. It shapes our view of God. And so we really are in need this morning and I think for our lives, to remind ourselves of genuine love. And that's what Paul does to the Roman church. He says that he writes to them very boldly to remind them of some matters. And that's not because they're getting it all wrong necessarily and they don't understand. And I'm not saying that we're not loving as a community. I think in many areas we're doing an amazing job. But I want to just remind us this morning of the genuine love of God. 
And so how do we understand this? Well, a helpful person to turn to is the disciple John, who was known as the one that Jesus loved, who really seemed to get this love thing of God. And if we have a look at what he says about this, he does a few things, but he doesn't only talk about the gift of love, but he points us back to the giver of the gift. And just want to pull out a few points. He first says, and this is in uh, John 1, chapter, sorry, 1 John chapter 4, he says that love is from God. So love is a gift that comes from God. It doesn't really emanate in the world. It stems from outside of the world, from God. But not only is it a gift of God, it is who God is. God is love. That famous and beautiful saying. It is who He is. It's an essential attribute of God. But how do we know this and see this? And what John says is that this love is displayed in God sending Jesus. And so if you want to know what love is, we need to understand how and why and what it looks like for God to send Jesus. And so that's where I want to go. And it links back to an earlier scripture in Romans where Paul is also trying to provide some definition for this thing called genuine love. And in chapter 5, verse 6, this is what he writes. He says, For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person, one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And this has just hit me when I've been preparing for this again. It wasn't that we've done anything for God. Before we had brought anything, before we had offered Him anything, while we were still stuck in our rebellion to God, God sent Jesus for us. Christ died for us first. And that is the love of God. That is genuine love. You see, genuine love is not just unconditional. It pursues the ones that offend it. How different from our culture. It pursues the ones that don't offer anything, that don't give anything. It goes after them because it cares about them. And this is what God does. And so Jesus has died for the unworthy. He's died for the sinners, for the drunkards, for the gamblers, for the drug dealers, the criminals, the warlords and the dictators, the prostitutes and the wife that's cheating, the husband that's abusive, the mom that loses her temper with her children, the power-hungry manager, the filthy rich, the fraudulent executive, and the lazy, the stubborn and the hard-hearted, the inhospitable, the cowardly, the gossipers, the hypocritical Christian, the backslidden Christian, the one having sex before marriage, the Christian with crooked theology, the fallen church leaders, and the preachers who don't always put God first in their lives. And if you didn't find yourself in the list, God died for the proud. 
And so friends, this is what Jesus has done. All of us falling short of his standard, not looking for him, yet he steps in and he pursues us. This is the love of God. This is genuine love. It is more about commitment than it is about feeling. And so Jesus moves into the mess of sin and towards sinners before they have done anything for him. And we know that Jesus paid a detrimental price. A huge cost was born for him to do this. It struck me again that from eternity past, as far back as one can conceivably imagine, Jesus would have experienced the perfect love of the Father in the Trinity. All he would have known was God's perfect love. This was, of course, until he ended up on the cross. And all of our sin was put on him. And the way that that grieves God he bore, and suddenly everything that he had known from eternity past, perfect love, moved to perfect fury. And Jesus would have experienced the perfect fury of God against sin, been crushed by that fury so that we could experience the perfect love of God. What an immense Thing that Jesus has done. But we know that that wasn't the end of the story, right? Jesus was raised to life, and there's also new life. And so genuine love doesn't only reach out to the sinner, absorb the cost that happens because of that, but it restores our fortunes. It doesn't just stop at kind of rebuilding relationships. And so it was really at the, de at the death of, on the cross um, where, of course, the power was, of sin was, was defeated, but also we were raised into newness of life. And it is the power of God that raised Jesus from the dead that now lives inside of us, that allows us to overcome sin in our lives. And so God restores our fortunes. He brings restoration to the broken areas in our lives. He doesn't just leave us the way we are. He transforms us for good. He takes us from this kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light so we would know and experience the fullness of His goodness. And so when we turn to Him, that is our, the promise that He will restore our fortunes. And I think this is why we just love this verse in John 3.16. Unfortunately for us who have been Christians for too long, we just see this verse and we switch off. But it is this amazing verse. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Praise God. Praise God for what he has done. Praise God for genuine love. And this is the model of love that we are called to emulate to one another. John, in that sort of portion of scripture which I've been referencing, he goes on to say that 
We love because he first loved us. We love because he first loved us. And so I want to help us understand this a little bit. See, because this is a gift that we get, but it's also a gift that we give. And so if you can start and pass it along the rows, all the way around to the back, onto the other side, not for you, just pass the gift along. <laughs> Whoops. Sorry, Emily. The look on her face was like, what? You mean it's not for me? <laughs> oh, gosh. It's good we have a bit of humor. Um, you can just pass it up the row. Why don't you pass it back? We'll save people running across the middle aisle. And so in, in this sense, you see, this gift is a gift also that gives. And so as we pass this box along, this gift along, I want us to think about that, that this is a gift that gives. We receive it from God, but we love each other else and we give it away because that is what love does. And so I just want to look at a few points around what does it look like for us as a community to really be a community that has got a gift that gives, to give this genuine love to one another. What does it look like? And a few of them are going to come as no surprise. The first is that it leans into sinners and away from sin. You see, I think there's a tendency for us sometimes to be put off by the messiness of sin in life. We see people who are struggling with something and, and we know, maybe feel a bit grieved and like, oh, I really should help them. And, and we say, oh, I'm, I'm terribly sorry to hear about that. And then we pause and we wait and slowly we grow dull and we don't do anything. And that's not what love does. You see, love pushes into the mess. It keeps going. It keeps wanting to invest in that person because it loves them. It doesn't stall. It is proactive. It pursues. And so I think this is what we need to do as a community. We need to push into the messiness in each other's lives. And we all have it, right? It's no, no criticism on anybody. I'm the, be the first to admit it. Life is not always how we want it to go. We don't always do the things we want to do. And I think this is really critical when we've been hurt by someone. So it's one thing when someone else is going through a difficult time to have to kind of make time and make the sacrifice to love them. But when we've been wronged by someone, it's all the harder to really rebuild, to repair, to push in. But that's exactly what Jesus did because we wronged God and he pushed in. And this is what will build unity because we don't let division rule. We let love rule. And so genuine love takes this risk. It makes itself vulnerable and it pushes in. And the thing is, it's, we don't just do this aimlessly or without hope, right? There's that beautiful portion of scripture in 1 Corinthians 13, which gets read at, of course, just about every wedding. And again, if you've been a Christian for a while, you grow dull and you switch off. But I want to just remind us of what, some of what it says. It says that love bears all things, regardless of what comes. It bears all things. It believes all things. We look for the best in one another. It hopes all things, right? It continues to stay steadfast during difficult times, and it endures all things. 
And so friends, when we lean into each other's lives and into the mess, we don't do this without hope. We do this in faith that it is the love of God that is in us that we will give to each other that will bring transformation and restoration to this person's life. We are not without hope. We do not love aimlessly. We love with purpose and intent and in faith. And so we lean in to sinners, but we also lean away from sin. See, it follows quite logically that if you really care and love someone, that if there's something that is bringing hurt or pain or suffering to their lives, you don't want that to continue, right? And that's what sin does. It brings destruction. It brings heartache and hardship. And so in the way that we love each other, we need to love each other in a way that helps us come away from these things in our lives. And so away from the sin, but into the sinner. And that's why Paul says in Romans 12 verse 9, this scripture that we're anchoring on, after saying, let love be genuine, he says that love abhors what is evil. It hates it. It detests it because it brings damage and hurt to the thing that love loves. But it also clings to what is good. That word cling literally means to be united to, to be stuck to, glued to the things that are good. And so this is the way that we ought to love each other. And so here's a question for us all just to reflect on. Is when we look back over the people that we've had in our lives and the the relationships and the, the friendships and the paths that we've crossed, what is in our wake? What is in our wake? Is it a wake of restoration, of people experiencing the love of God? Is that in our wake? Because that's what should be in our wake if we've really received the love of God. Or are you more of a ship passing through the night that picks up bits of love bounty, these gifts that people give to you, and you store it below deck, and you only travel at night, not wanting to really risk building relationships and giving love away? So what is in our wake, friends? And just a few practical pointers. I just think we really need to get to know one another. You know, I think there's a real risk that we can slip in here on a Sunday and slip out on a Sunday and not actually know each other, not know what's going on in our lives. Maybe you haven't opened up to someone in our community about what's going on in your life, and that takes vulnerability. But maybe us also haven't taken the time to really know what's happening in each other's lives. And so do you know what's happening in the lives of your friends, of those in your life group? Are we asking people how they are emotionally? Are we asking people how their marriages are? How they're finding being a new parent? Are we asking these questions? And I know we can feel a little bit uncomfortable, right? (laughs) We kind of want to wait until we've really had them over for dinner three or four times, and then maybe, maybe we can ask them about how their marriage is. But guys, there's a freedom in the love of Christ to be open, to live vulnerable, authentic lives with one another. And I really think, just as we were praying in the prayer meeting um, before the service, there are a lot of people who are hurting in our community at the moment. There are a lot of people. And I want to encourage us to really get around them, to love them, to pray for them, to see how we can help out. What can we do for them? 
not without hope, knowing that there's a transforming power of God that will bring freedom to the sin in their lives. So let's do that as a community. So this gift that gives leans into the sinners and away from the sin, but it also, like Christ, sacrifices itself. And that's why at the beginning of this portion of Scripture, God says, present your bodies as living sacrifices. Why? By the mercies of God, because of the love of God, we do that. We offer up our lives. And so it comes at a cost to ourselves to love each other. But that's the call. And I think there's so many examples of people who are doing this in amazing ways in our community. And Andy went through a list and called certain people out. And I, I want to just again just mention sort of some of these, these things that I see. People who travel great distances to be here with us, to have life groups here, to bless each other, who are taking the cost of time, of money to get here. People who've given in remarkably generous ways to our building project, who've sacrificed house deposits for this church building so we can sit here and enjoy this space. People who continue to serve in years when they've got young children and it's difficult and it's hard and yet they are here every weekend giving of themselves and of their time for the good of our community. People who've been here for decades, who stand like rocks, having helped us through multiple leadership transitions, faithfully committed serving, not only when it's easy, not only because church is ticking their boxes, but because of love. And friends, there are many, many more examples. And I want to just encourage us, let's keep loving each other genuinely. In big ways and small ways, let's just realize it's just part of offering ourselves up as living sacrifices. C.S. Lewis, because of course every sermon is incomplete without a C.S. Lewis quote, so I thought I'd better include something, says this, he says, there is no safe investment. To love at all is to be vulnerable. Love anything and your heart will certainly be wrung out and possibly be broken. If you want to make sure of keeping it intact, you must give your, give your heart to no one, not even to an animal. Wrap it around carefully with little hobbies and little luxuries. Avoid all entanglements. Lock it up safe in the casket or coffin of your selfishness. But in that casket, safe, dark, motionless, airless, it will change. It will not be broken. It will become unbreakable, impenetrable, irredeemable. And so friends, it is good for us and those whom we love to take the risk, to push into each other's lives, to take the cost and let love be genuine in this place. Amen. My third point on this is that when this is in our community and when love is genuine, what I think it does is it just cuts straight through religiosity. It cuts through religiosity. See, when we lose sight of unconditional, self-sacrificial love, what do we do? I think this is what we do. We kind of turn back to self, don't we? We turn back to flesh, to our own effort, to, to us wanting to try to do the right thing. 
We want to. We, want to. we know we, we should love each other. So we try to do these things. But we look to ourselves. And in doing that, we start to give ourselves badges for all the times we get it right. And we get pernickety and critical about other people's lives when they don't get it right. See, but when you get love, when you realize that you've only received, it just cuts through this level of religiosity. And wasn't this Jesus' primary accusation of the Pharisees at the time, of the religious leaders? What did he say? He called them whitewashed tombs. You guys look great on the outside. You're doing all the right things. You're ticking the boxes. You're getting the badges. But on the inside, you're decaying and you're rotten. And that's it for us as well. This is the warning in Scripture, is we shouldn't really put all the kind of religiosity and getting everything right and ticking the boxes above building genuine relationships. And so love cuts through uh, religiosity. And the very ironic thing about this is that it results in the fulfillment of the law. (laughs) As Paul says that later on in the book, he says that love is the fulfillment of the law. And so if we love each other well, we will get all the, all the things right. We will walk in the ways of God. But it's not really about that. It's about love. And to give you an example of this, um, briefly, when I was a undergrad student, and I was in, at that time going to a, a church in Cape Town, but in a relationship that really left a lot to be desired. I was sort of de facto living with the, part, the girl that I was with at the time. We were, you know, on a sort of sexual level, not pure. And I found myself in this place of knowing God, of wanting to know God, but feeling so torn between him and this girl who I now loved and wrestling with this. And I went to my life group leader at the time, who subsequently become one of my best and, and dearest friends, and I said to him, this is, this is what's going on, what do, what do I do? He didn't say to me, Keegan, you know this is wrong, you need to pull up your socks. He used this illustration, he said, Keegan, you're like a sheep in a field, and there's a fence around the field, and the sheep can't get out of the field, and there's a trough in the middle, and God is the trough, and you decide how close to the trough or how close to the fence you want to live. You see, genuine love doesn't force us to do the right thing. It gives us the option, and it shows us the gospel, and it shows us what God and what Jesus has done, and it knows that that will motivate the right behavior. And it was then that I realized, this is not a matter of my salvation, this is not a matter of you know, me knowing or not knowing God. This is a matter of me wanting to live for God, for the kingdom, for all the good things that he's got for me, to avoid the pain, the hurt, and the destruction that was coming with this relationship. It didn't force me. It inspired me. It made me want to do it, want to live the way that God wanted me to live. And that's how we should love each other. And now my final point, and I think we can get the band up um, for this. And this is kind of the way that this sort of all links together to to last week's um, message, is that this genuine love, this gift of genuine love is worthy of elevation in our community. It's worthy of elevation. 
in our community. You see, last week, Andy spoke about all the gifting and all the gifts that God gives us, and they are great and they are wonderful, and praise God for the gifts. But there's this interesting parallel between this portion of Scripture in Romans and what happens in 1 Corinthians 12 and 13, where it also talks about all the gifts that are given to the church, the gifts of prophecy and all of these things. But then Paul brings it back to love. And what does he say? Well, let's read it together. 1 Corinthians 13, it says, If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have prophetic powers and understand all the mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to move mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. And if I give away all that I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. And so friends, this gift of love is worthy of elevation in our community. We should call and encourage each other to love. Of course, the gifts are important and they matter, but if they are not founded on love, if they do not travel on top of love, friends, they are nothing. And so we can have in this place the most gifted teachers, the most visionary of leaders, the best worship bands in all of London, Sundays with numerous prophetic contributions and tongues, the most organized kitchen team, a rocking kids ministry, the hottest productions, and a cafe, dare I say it, that serves the best coffee. (laughs) But if we have not love, these things are nothing. They are nothing. And so I want to call us this morning. We're going to sing. We're going to respond. But let us praise God for this gift of love. It is the power to transform our lives, to break through sin, to bring healing, to bring real unity in this community that will impact London. It has to. So why don't we stand and worship together? Thanks for listening to Sermon Audio from Westminster Chapel. If you'd like to partner with us in making disciples and sharing the gospel, please consider making a one-off or regular donation. Visit westminsterchapel.org.uk forward slash giving to find out how.